Hey folks, producer Mason here. This is part two of our episode this week, talking about the U.S. national teams and what's been going on in MLS. If you're looking for information about City SC, you'll want to go back and listen to part one, which came out on Wednesday. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy. Welcome back from the break. Uh, it's time for us to take a look at uh, both national teams, the U.S. men and the women. Uh, the freshest news will go first. The uh, U.S. men's national team did drop the roster for upcoming friendlies in League Cup games coming starting on June 1st, not that far away. Uh, big game, A couple of big friendlies, actually. They're uh, hosting Morocco on June 1st and June 5th against Uruguay couple of good teams to get them in shape with this somewhat limited uh, roster for coming in for the June window. And then they've got the League's Cups games uh, where they're hosting Granada and uh, going to El Salvador, which is a fairly decent test, but the League's Cups not doing them any favors heading into the World Cup later this year. Uh, there's limited FIFA windows. Basically have this one, and I believe only one other one in September uh, to try to get those friendlies in to get them geared up for tougher competition in the World Cup. That will start November 21st against the three-headed playoff between Wales, Scotland, and Ukraine. The UEFA Path A winner. Yeah. Uh, some, not, not, not a lot of controversy in this roster. As expected, it's a little bigger roster, a lot of people getting looks, as would be expected here. Uh, some injuries meant that uh, more players got looks as well, as there's key losses in the roster heading into this window, perhaps even for the World Cup in the case of Miles Robinson. Uh, so it's kind of a big deal to get some playing time. I'll first start off with you, Sean. Who's some of the new faces coming into this June camp that uh, you're excited to see well as far as new faces some of them we've seen before some of them we haven't uh but they're still relatively new when it comes to the roster uh it looks like looks like greg's been listening to the podcast and listening to my words because we've got georgie mihailovic back in the back in the fold which i'm excited about uh it's been put on an absolute career year in mls up there for montreal um joe scally we've seen him before uh, CCV comes back in, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Palmer-Brown. They've had absolutely wonderful years overseas. Um, Aaron Long coming into the into the show, but I think that's mostly because of injury. Um, but the two real unknowns here are Haji Wright and Malik Tillman. What can you tell us about them, Mike? Uh, Haji Wright's been, I think in Turkish, tearing it up, scoring a lot lately. Uh, for longtime followers of prospects for the U.S. men's national team, he's not an unfamiliar name. I may have my story wrong, but uh, off the top of my head, it popped in that uh, I believe that he was being scouted by all the big teams in Europe when suddenly they found this other hotshot other U.S. kid named Christian Pulisic, uh, who they all got hot over uh, in the uh, U-15s. Who's Christian Pulisic? Never heard of him. 
Yeah. Oh, is, is he that guy <laughs> and, that just uh, falls over anytime he gets, you know, uh, checked by anybody? Oh, he's that guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then Malik Tillman, which I haven't really been following. He's a 19-year-old attacking midfielder, has played a lot in the Bayern Munich youth system. I've heard some rumors about him. Certain observers are high on him. He had uh, seven appearances for Bayern's first team and one goal. Uh, so a chance to get a look at what he could bring to the squad, not necessarily in the near future, but for the future, which is the case for many of these. Uh, Joe Scally, of course, had a breakout year, especially early uh, in the Bundesliga. Cameron Carter-Vickers, a key cog on loan with uh, Celtic and helped lead them to uh, the Scottish Premier League title over Rangers. Good. Uh, Aaron Long, of course, really it was the uh, fixture at center back until he blew out his Achilles about a year ago. He's back in the picture. And uh, and then Eric Palmer Brown has really had a good year and put himself up for some transfers to bigger teams in Europe. And Mihailovic had a... Uh... Had a goal in the uh, the Montreal game in the first minute, I think, most recently. He's been... He's tearing it up. He's tearing up MLS. Uh, he is the one out of this lit. Well, other than the center backs because of the loss of Miles Robinson. And another ex- uh, notable absence we'll get into in a moment. Uh, he's the one to really look for possibly breaking into the squad and what he could bring and how hot he is, especially in the midfield. Oh, absolutely. Sean, who's some of the absences from this uh, roster that stood out to you? Well, we've got some big names that we need to talk about that, you know, we need to mention. Uh, Most of these are going to be for injury. Uh, Obviously, Robinson just went down. uh, Miles Robinson. Anthony's still there because it's A-Rob. It's Jedi Robinson. He's got to be on the team, right? Yeah. Uh, But Miles went down. Uh, Serginho Dest is still trying to come back from an injury. Gio Reyna is still coming back from injury. Chris Richards still trying to come back from an injury. Um, but as far as names that I am surprised aren't in it, and then I look into reasoning from Burhalter because uh, we have a quote from him. Uh, I noticed Pepe's gone. He's not on the roster for this window. Busio's not on this roster. James Sands not on this roster. Guys that have really made a name and probably should be included come World Cup time. Uh, but when you hear uh, Berhalter talk about him, the the uh, Pepe, Busio, and Sands especially, they made big moves overseas almost immediately in the you know in the middle of an MLS season. So they've had absolute gauntlet seasons for themselves. Uh, they needed some time to rest. Sean Johnson also a guy that made a move over and is probably getting some rest there. Uh, but when it comes down to the uh, you know the biggest name left out Slo- Slonina he said he's committing to the US after a lot of lot of push from Poland to get him but uh he's committed to the US but I'm not sure he's quite ready especially with the three keepers we've got on roster um but the one we really need to talk about is where in the world is John Brooks yeah uh- a lot of discussion, a lot of things, a lot of speculation over whether he's had a falling out with the co- coaching staff or other players. It could just come down to Berhalter doesn't rate him. You can have opinions upon that, but it's always the coach's uh, 
prerogative to choose players that he thinks fits the system the best. Yeah, and you see that at club and country. It could be a combination of all of that. Uh, Berhalter doing his part, saying he's not out of the running. Uh, A lot of the things that have been said recently about Brooks's absence speak of something that uh, they just don't want the people to know. Something within the team. That's where that speculation comes from. People break it down. Uh, look at what he's been doing. I think it just comes down mainly to either something we don't know about or Berhalter thinks there's people that just do the job better. And have to say through qualifying that flat out, Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman beat him out for a starting job. Oh, 100%. I agree with you on there on that. Um, but have, having that experience from someone like John Brooks, who's made many caps for the U.S., uh, would be great, even if it's just on the bench. But I, and not to speculate too much, we've done enough of that already, this podcast. Uh, I think the reason they don't want to say anything about it, because in, in incidents in past where it was like McKinney having a, you know, a childish moment with the whole COVID thing, I think this comes down to a conflict of leadership on field. And I've seen it too many times in locker rooms in various sports where if you have two guys that have different ideas of where the team needs to be headed as far as, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you can split a locker room and that can cause a lot of problems on field chemistry wise. And I think that's what's coming down to. And they just don't want to say it because no coach ever wants to admit their locker room isn't united. There's also been some whispers from former players that were in the locker room, even going back to when he was the young buck in 2014. That when Brooks doesn't start, he raises a stink. And if he got beaten out, maybe they don't want that stink in the locker room. I've heard it. Don't know if I believe it, but it's out there. Uh, But what it comes down to is he's not here. There's talented people taking his place. See what Aaron Long can do because he was pretty good for the national team when he was in there. Uh, Carter Vickers and Palmer Brown have had good seasons. There is talent even without Chris Richards and without Miles Robinson. There's still some talent to take it up. Let's see what happens when it comes World Cup time and if John Brooks actually gets back in the team when push comes to shove. Only time will tell. Kind of tough not getting Gio Reyna a chance to play. Uh, Dest has had his turn. Reyna's been out since September. And it might be September till he's back in. Uh, had a struggle with getting back from injuries and he's such a young player you hope that this you know has to do with hamstrings and those can linger for a long long time hopefully he's getting the rest and go to come back to health really will need him come world cup time yeah you really you really gotta hope that this is an injury that even if it's a long recovery he does recover from and it's not one of those ones that like haunts him and yeah. uh, and you know alters his entire career path because of it yeah yeah. Uh, other big news coming out of the national teams is a historic collective bargaining agreement between both women's and men's national teams. And uh, you got some information on that for us, Mason. Yeah. So this is um, this has been out for a little bit. This is the first opportunity we re- we've really had to cover it. But um, yeah, the uh, uh, U.S. MNT and U.S. WMNT have agreed to uh, new CBAs with uh, U.S. soccer 
which for the first time are essentially the same. They're on the like pretty much the same terms. Um, some of the the biggest stuff to come out of this is both like equal pay for um, for for matches and things like that for the women as the men, but also um, the split of FIFA World Cup winnings. And FIFA pays an exorb pays much more for the men's teams in men's World Cup and friendlies than they do going for the women. Yeah. I ain't <laughs> I don't have the stat right in front of me, but I think that the men get paid more for advancing out of group and then losing than the women do for winning the World Cup. I believe it's very close, if not absolutely correct. Yeah. But um so the way that the that this revenue split works is um the winnings from the 2022 World Cup and the 2023 Women's World Cup will be pulled together and then also for the 26 and 27 World Cups will also be pulled together separately um and then they it's different splits for each group um 22 and 23 revenues will be split 90-10 players and U.S. soccer. And then that 90% for players is then split in half. Um, for 26 and 27, that will be an 80-20 player federation split. And then that 80% is split in half for the players. Um, but that is probably the biggest deal to come out of this is... Um, some proper fair compensation for the women who have been in terms of results outperforming the men for years, <laughs> but not being fairly compensated for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, you can win three, four women's world cups and still, and like after winning those three make about as much money as the men do for making it to the round of 16 <laughs> in one world cup. Um, the, uh, other thing that was noted of this is that for compet for FIFA competitions that have equivalent men's and women's competition, this revenue split will also be in effect. So for example, the gold cup, uh, men's and women's winnings from both gold cups will also be pooled and split. I don't remember the actual revenue splits off the top of my head, but, uh, that is, that is also in effect. Another thing is, uh, that the women will be going from guaranteed salaries to the play for play pay system that the men have been under. So kind of this is kind of the trade off that they're taking for the equal compensation is that instead of being a, gu a guaranteed yearly salary, they will be paid per appearance. It also speaks to the strength of women's leagues in which they can live off of their uh, cup play. And not need a stipend from U.S. soccer to make it happen. Yeah, um, yeah, like paying like the like the NWSL things like that is improving, but um, European Super Leagues also play pay uh, play into this as well. Yeah, but I it, it sh like it, it didn't go unstated. Uh, but another thing that factors into the men and women going into the the revenue split on winnings is that the men still make significantly more from their league play than the women do. 
Um, it is a good thing that the women are getting paid more, but like, I don't know, is there a play like a regular US MNT player that gets paid a million dollars and that's it? Whereas like Trinity uh, Rodman just signed the biggest deal in NWSL for four years and one million dollars. <laughs> it's it's improving, but it's still not equal on league side. So it's 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 an easier pill to swallow for the men, and it's a big win for the women. Uh, before they got their transfers, I would bet uh, some players on the USMNT, like James Sands and uh, George Bello, who are called in uh, Bello's being called in this latest camp. They're probably on pretty low salaries as well, but now they've been transferred out. But otherwise, yeah, it, it, that, that compensation, but that can't be changed by U.S. soccer. Yeah, no, it it's just it. I think that it's um, it was a factor that went into this decision making. Now, is this done and dealt with or does it still have to be ratified by the men and the women? The CBAs have already been ratified. And they are in effect. Uh, actually, they are in effect retroactive back to January 1st of this year. Um, and they are there was some a little bit of like m- miscommunication on it. They are still separate CBAs between the two teams or between the two. Uh, yeah, between the two teams, the men's national and the women's national. They are still separate CBAs. They just have sim- like the same terms in them. Yeah. And one thing that's been overlooked in the news reporting is the the role that the men's team did in accepting uh, the pooling of the money and other things. So they really did do a bit of their job to get this over the line. So that should be commended. And uh, how long will this last? So the CBAs, like I said, are retroactive back to January 1st, and then they will both expire on December 31st, 2028. So six years of quote-unquote labor peace, as everyone always likes to say. Yeah, and we'll see what happens then. Yeah. Because uh, there'll be like a whole new generation coming in that might not agree to all this, or it could become the law of the land. What's yeah. so important is the what this does for women's soccer worldwide, because what the U.S. women get has such a profound impact on the way that other nations will have to start getting or or will at least start getting pressure to do the same because of this success uh those other nations might uh get some pushback for the men actually you know having to put up with equal pay there'll be pressure on them for to stop such ways of thinking so it really is historical, not just in the U.S. It's going to be historical worldwide and not just in the realm of soccer. This could have profound impacts on society, especially in certain other countries around the world as well. Yeah. few other notes. Um, one of the things that was in the uh, in the new CBAs is that um, U.S. soccer has agreed to a TV revenue split with the with the two teams um that is predicated on u.s soccer clearing 55 million dollars in tv revenue for televised matches which it looks like they're likely to do both with the new sponsorship deal the new tv deal that have been signed and just the general increase in viewership um 
And then there is another tier where the revenue split will increase. I think that is at $75 million, but I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, there is also a ticket revenue sale, uh, uh, ticket revenue split in place now for players as well, um, where I think it is $5 uh, for each ticket sale is then uh, split off to players, and that is also increased for sellout matches uh, up to a percentage of average ticket price. Um, Hopefully that means U.S. soccer won't charge even more to go to these matches so that they cut their the outlay. Uh, so they get yeah. more per more per ticket and sell less tickets. It's been their, their modus operandi lately. Yeah, that's the rub, right? Anytime that labor wins any kind of... Uh, increase in position companies then use that as an excuse to raise their prices and and blame blame union blame labor on it uh but who know i don't know all in all uh our long national nightmare for soccer players is looks to be have come to an end with much wringing of hands and gnashing of teeth to get to where it probably should have been all all along yeah um (laughs) yeah speaking of that um the uh, settlement in the uh, the women's uh, lawsuit against U.S. soccer, um, the settlement that was reached was predicated on a new CBA deal being ratified. So now that it has been, um, it just needs legal um, approval from the players and the court. Um, and then the settlement can proceed and finally truly put that to bed as well. And hope that goes off without a hitch. Uh, so that's good news. And uh, a lot of happening for our international teams. And uh, the cycle begins. Uh, these friendlies are a lead up to the Men's World Cup out of uh, <laughs> out of the normal schedule because of Qatar and FIFA doing it in the winter. And then quickly thereafter, the women's all leading up to four years or so from now when we have the World Cup. For the men in this country, and so many of these deals have to do with the the big dreams of what that might mean yeah, to yeah. MLS, U.S. soccer, soccer in general in this country. And should not go unstated that um, you know a lot of the focus on this uh, the CBA agreements was on the women getting equal pay and revenue splits and all that, but the men have been playing without a CBA agreement for quite a while. I think for years. Um, so we can now also, with them having ratified the new CBA, head into the World Cup without any worries of them either being shafted or going on strike or something. That's good. That's good. And now, quick look at MLS, hopefully. MLS had two games again this week. We'll kind of touch on what happened in this week. But uh, the big talking point uh, really need to look at is... Uh, Courtesy of the Athletics' Sam Stayskull, who published an article. Also, the Athletics' uh, uh, John Mueller put out a interesting and profound tweet as well. And it has to do with the success or lack thereof of MLS's Under-22 initiative. This was set up to give owners and clubs the ability to attract young talent and basically sell them on to make a profit, uh, especially young talent in Central and South America. They have been attracting the talent, 
but it hasn't really paid off in the way it was intended. Most of the U-22 signings who were signed for large transfer fees have been way underperforming. As it is one of the very few free spending mechanisms in MLS for under the roster spend rules, and it has unfortunately led to a lot of poor investments. You know, young talent is coveted all over the world as a way to dramatically increase revenues to increase profit, and MLS is competing against some of the richest club in the world for some of these players. I'm thinking of particularly uh, Brenner, who was signed for a big cash allotment by uh, Cincinnati, and uh, he hasn't really panned out on the field. Uh, He's probably wanting out, but the Offers coming in do not meet their valuations, probably because he'd be taken at a loss. And that's something that's happening over and over and over. A lot of this has to do with the MLS scouting networks for many clubs just aren't extensive. So they're going into this, uh, putting down their bets uh, against uh, other clubs with deeper pockets. And they're winning some of them, but at what cost? Uh, The players aren't fitting their structure they're bringing in these young players to coaches that don't really aren't really ones to develop these sort of kids into something that'll make them play better. They're looking to win every week. And uh, basically, it's MLS wasting money within its own Byzantine maze of rules to eliminate waste and keep costs manageable. Anytime you speculate in young talent and try to play this game, it is a gamble. Young talent does not necessarily develop in a linear fashion, and unproven talent sometimes washes out as they get up against uh, tougher competition, older players, or they just run up against uh, you know struggles that they haven't dealt with before in their careers, and they don't deal with it appropriately. And uh, you know, scouting shortcomings. And perhaps coming into this a little blind means that a lot of clubs are missing invaluable aspects on these players. Their emotional makeup, their level of maturity, their hunger to reach a highest level and how they fit within the coach's philosophy, what their support system is within their friends and family. Are they good people? Will they fit in the locker room? Man, if you miss on those and you're spending $12 million to bring somebody in, that's a recipe for failure. And uh, additionally, MLS is a unique league. How many of these players come in and they're not prepared for the travel, uh, the change in climates among the various cities? That's a big deal. Or just not the ability to cope in a new culture as well. And if that you haven't done your due diligence, there's a chance you're going to lose. And uh, one thing about this initiative is it hasn't been... Basically, the clubs haven't really got a grasp of how this can benefit them. They've been out trying to make a splash, perhaps making headlines, uh, perhaps thinking it's a, you know, we'll get him and then we'll sell him on just because he got this big transfer fee or so-and-so wants them. It's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not an efficient use of monies in a league that prioritizes efficient use of monies and it keeps uh, costs down. If you're not getting performance on the field, you're losing in a club-wise and a team concept within the league, but you're also losing out on the ability to sell them on, which is what it's all about. 
Uh, some clubs have done a lot better with this than others. I think NYCFC has particularly been good at taking advantage of this or also taking care of their kids, but they've got the city group to do a lot of this extensive worldwide scouting for them. Tati was a U-22, wasn't he? Not sure about that. He might have been a young DP, but yeah, just utilizing young players, no matter what slot he's in, he's prime example. He's still only making about a million dollars a year. Didn't cost much to bring him in. They'll sell him on. They've also got perhaps his replacement, Talis Magno, who they did spend a bit. Eight million could be up to 12. Looks like he'll pay off and he's already given dividends uh, even young in his career right now. So they, they're using it right. Kind of the prototypical example of how this is expected to be used. Uh, taking a look at uh, some of the older full DPs or older players brought in the league, uh, the outlay for those type of players is, you know, higher on a percentage basis, but the results and the number of players actually overperforming what's expected of them is a much bigger hit, far more successful. A lot of the losers in these deals get a lot of attention, but a lot of them are at least performing above their compatriots on the team. And the spending overall amongst the older DPs against these U-22s is not so significantly higher to have such a drop-off. A little thing that people often step into is that MLS needs to spend more. MLS actually spends a fair amount of money. They just do it so inefficiently. And because of the way the buckets are set up, it, they tend, tend to be top-heavy. They can't fill out their rosters. They're not getting the bang for their buck. It's one reason keep harping on the roster spin rules have to be changed. And it's not just us and other fans. It is the actual GMs of these clubs themselves that say that. Ownership is looking at how do we control the actual bottom line and how much we spend. And they don't seem to be that concerned about how those monies and, and revenues because there is no relegation. It's never going to happen in MLS, but they don't have the pressure to put a performance on the field that the fans want. And if you're mitigating costs, then if the fans fall away, it gets embarrassing. But is there a real problem there? If everything's pulled around MLS, bad performing owners bring down good performing owners the way it's set up. Some GMs have called this exercise the U-22 just a colossal waste of money in a league that's set up to avoid colossal waste of money. So the failure of this particular initiative at this point points to the reason why there's not unfettered spending in MLS. Uh, without the threat of relegation, which they'll never have with the franchise system to keep the monies rolling into the league, uh, the owners just don't have, you know, the push to really do things the right way, think it through, put in money into scouting uh, networks, and it's just simply not working. And I'm thinking on this because a, a point of the salary cap is to enforce parity. It's one of the ways you can do that if you don't do pro-rel. If you give them all these mechanisms to avoid the salary cap, then what's the point? <laughs> because you will end up in situations like this where you just spend exorbitant amounts of money on players who aren't performing. Uh, it's because the whole system has never been streamlined since the beginning of the league. 
they just try to appease certain free spending owners with these little buckets and uh, still try to overall keep the idea of keeping costs down. It all needs to be reworked. This is so inefficient. MLS is losing money due to the very, you know, machinations that they have to save money. And it really threatens the sustained growth and uh, prosperous of the league. They really need to look at it. It's not going to be easy to revamp it. And there's going to be a lot of pushback, especially from the older owners that uh, absorbed a lot of losses very early on in the league. Those numbers are falling away uh, as expansion brings in newer owners that understand more of the concept of what it takes to win now, not necessarily what happened in the past that they weren't involved in. So changing these is not going to be an easy task, not only keeping it balanced, but also getting a consensus in the boardroom. So none of this is easy. And right now there's no plans to change these spending rules and these buckets uh, there's a chance that clubs, as this goes forward, could use this initiative correctly. But right now, it just seems a way of uh, showing that they are spending cash for these owners and taking a loss without helping their teams. And who loses, as usual, fans. And then to pay these off, the fans will be stuck with higher ticket prices. The way it always goes, correct? Yeah, because, you know, it doesn't matter that we're talking about billionaires versus, you know, families uh we should shoulder the burden for their mistakes as usual it's called capitalism yeah it's they're working the more and more they add to these things the more and more tam was an unequivocally a success in building depth in the roster this initiative just is not working out the way it was planned at all i don't think the amount of spending on these transfers is what the league had in mind when it started this initiative. It was a way more to entice these young players that were perhaps unknown to come in the league. Instead, they're fighting for uh, PR splashes against teams like Bayern and Barcelona and Real Madrid and Premier League teams trying to make a signing, and it just isn't working out. So that's my rant for the week. We all have, seem to have a rant every week. Um, other MLS news, anything stand out to you in this uh, busy, busy week for MLS, Sean? Well, the first thing that stands out to me is the fact that uh, effectively half the teams in the league have one of the have the most absolutely congested schedules this entire month, have, having a match every third day. That's 12 teams have played a match every third day and will have played one every third day for the month of May. And I think part of that's leading up into that international window. Um, you got to make up some games that you, you know, because you're not going to, you're going to have two weeks where you're not going to play. Um, but as far as, you know, who had a good week, who didn't have a good week, uh, I, I think it's very safe to say that I don't think the Galaxy had a very good week. No. <laughs> they drew to Minnesota and then lost to Houston, who Houston's no slouch this year, but galaxy what's what's going on there bud uh club de foot montreal did not have a very good week either oh yeah no taking two two losses at the score of 2-1 is never a good thing dallas did the exact same thing that this week including a loss to vancouver vancouver two to one. <laughs> oh my goodness 
The Fire playing better. They're not getting results. Austin, still second in the Supporters' Shield. Thoughts of them collapsing when they hit the road against better teams. They have shown evidence of that, but they're still getting enough results to stay near the top. I mean, they they beat LAFC midweek. Yep. Yeah. Uh, LAFC showing some shakiness, but uh, that was a strange game against Austin midweek. NYCFC just keep chugging. They're chugling along. They're starting to tear up the league right now. Not on score sheet, but in results, they are. Oh, and we expected this once they were done with uh, Champions League. Uh, But, you know, this was totally expected from them. What hasn't been expected is the fact that Seattle hasn't really seemed to rebound as well as we thought they would. Yeah, as well as NYCFC has rebounded, Seattle hasn't. (laughs) Seattle's holding their own. They look bottom of the table, but their games per, you know, points per game is a little bit higher because of uh, not playing games because of CONCACAF Champions League. But going to Colorado and losing 1-0 just shows something that's been showing up is this team has since, oh, let's say August of last year, has shown the ability to have a big struggle scoring goals. They create a lot of attacks, but boy, they hit the bar. They hit the the woodwork a lot. Uh, They're just... Not able to quite get those shots in. They're not following, falling like you would expect. Sporting KC had a pretty good week considering where they were coming into this week. Oh, yeah. Big week getting the midweek win over uh, over Colorado. No, not Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. Yes, getting Colorado. the midweek win over Colorado. <laughs> um, and then going into their weekend game against San Jose and absolutely scrambling to try to fill a roster they currently have more players listed as injured than they did on the sidelines for this for that game but they somehow managed to put out a starting 11 that i honestly think could have won the game but at the same time i think a a 1-1 draw was a fair result with how san jose have been playing lately absolutely tearing it up since they replaced their coach yeah, between how hot San Jose has been and how hard SKC has been scuffling, a draw is a good result. <laughs> it was all due to your rant last week, Sean. <laughs> I I hope I hope it was, but probably not. Let's be real. I don't I don't think anyone listened to that rant. If you did, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you thought about it. If you didn't, well, yeah, you can you can go listen to it if you want, but if not, I'm not gonna force you. Based on based on the recent results from Sporting KC, we can say that podcasting is praxis. Yeah. <laughs> Couple of things that stood out: Paul Ariola with just a thunder bastard outside of the box in DC's latest game, and Daniel Godzag uh, in Philadelphia's big win over Portland. Paul Ariola doesn't play for DC anymore. Oh. Excuse me, Dallas, in their loss. Uh, (laughs) Old memories die hard. They're basically Uh, the same acronyms, just in different order. It's the exact same. It's it's easy to get confused. And uh, Daniel Gazdag (laughs) Philadelphia opening the scoring in Portland with an overhead kick. That stood out. And uh, really, that's about it that stood out for me this week. Oh, I think we forgot to mention... Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't admit to the absolute Mason get the button ready, but the absolute show at the end of the Sporting KC game. Four red cards in that match, and oh yeah, yeah. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> like just absolutely absolutely atrocious letting go of your emotions at the wrong time. Shallowy, what are you doing kicking out his legs? Like I get the frustration, but that's a that's a red card 100% of the time, but also the defender coming in and giving a full t- full extend two-arm shove to the back of was that Fontas that got knocked down or was that Shallowy? I can't remember. That was a while ago. But there either was way, so much going on in that game. It was you, you just missed if you it, haven't you seen it, it yet. Yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, go go look it up on YouTube. I'm sure it's going to be on instant replay on the MLS channel. But it, it was just the, the ref tried to keep a handle on it with all those cards, but it, it just shouldn't have happened. Absolutely lapse in judgment there from everybody involved. Thinking of uh, red cards and losing players, Orlando really dominating uh, Austin and then two yellows uh, and then a straight red and they're down to nine men and uh, they had to settle for a draw, giving uh, Austin 30 minutes plus of uh, a two-man advantage. It's a wonder Orlando didn't get beat in that game. Yeah. They were up. They were up a man, scored a goal, and then they went up two men not not long after, and then they could only squeak out an at the death equalizer. And uh, let's give a little love to uh, Real Salt Lake, up to sixth in the supporter shield standings. Dimar Krylak hasn't played since the third week. Uh, they had the lowest spend under the uh, MLS Players Association list of uh, spending though that will change. They've got a couple of uh, former players coming back in on DP agreements, I believe. They'll be classified. Uh, They're doing something right in RSL. They're on the up. Fan base is excited. The team's playing well. See if it lasts through the whole season, but uh, that's unexpected. I think part of that is the fact that they're one of two teams that are only playing once a week this month. That could (laughs) be. Every single week. And Charlotte hanging around 16th in the supporter shield. Very good for an expansion team, especially considering the uh, the coaches lament before they ever started the season. That's surprising. Yeah, but uh, considering the way that Vancouver's been playing, it's not tremendously impressive. But they had a two-one win over Vancouver after Vancouver went up really early on them. So who you just said Vancouver beat Vancouver? No, Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte. Okay. I, I think you were saying that not that beating Vancouver is an accomplishment, but yeah, I think that does it for we've the been ML. recording for a long time. There are lapses in understanding. <laughs> the brain has decided to start <laughs> spewing words and hoping they make coherent thoughts for sake of podcast content. We, we have we have all gone stupid mode <laughs> and a tip of the cap to anyone still listening to this show. Maybe <laughs> for your benefit, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. We thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.